I uh, wanted you to think, we're, we're into the new year, but would you think back a, a couple weeks with me, and I wanted to ask you this, what was your mindset as you uh, left 2017 and entered the new year 2018? What was that, that sense you had? Was it, if you were like me, it was a little bit mixed, in terms of emotions and my mindset. In one sense, it was nice that 2017 was done. So a little bit of sense of relief. So any of you share that a little bit? Yes? Uh, also a little bit of anticipation of what the new year would hold. This, this idea of a, a new year, some new beginnings, some new things, new challenges perhaps. Yes, some of you are with me on that. Uh, a measure of hope, I would say. Uh, for me personally, some excitement of what God is doing and how God is stirring in my life personally in this community. Also a measure of distress. Is that fear to say? I, I think especially if you uh, look beyond uh, the church in particular, some elements of distress uh, from the political realm. Did any of you watch over the weekend? Holy cow, right? So our, our government is still presently shut down, right? I was going to email to the president and say, do we not have to pay taxes on each day it's shut down? Would that uh, work out all right? A little bit distressed that kind of we're there. Aren't you so thankful that we don't look and our hope isn't placed in the government, but in Jesus Christ alone? Amen. Who's enthroned? Yes. Um, also, I would say you look internationally. And there's elements of distress that's there. North Korea, Syria, Iran, some of those things that you look and go, yeeks, uh, what's, what's going to happen in 2017? Did you hear about the false alarm in Hawaii that, that the, the phones received that ballistic missiles were on the way and it turned out uh, some shift changed, someone pushed the wrong button? Can you believe that? Uh, that's not going to help with peace and tranquility, is it, right? I think socially there's an element um, that is somewhat distressing. This, uh, the, the Me Too and the revelations uh, of all the, the sexual misconduct in every area, right? It's almost like not, not a single segment of our society it is, it, all of that is prone, whether it is Hollywood or politically or the church or business, uh, just all over. You go, man, a, a brokenness that's there, a, a distressing that's there. I was thinking this morning we are entering uh, the book of Romans. And this was a book that was written in the first century, early in the church, from the Apostle Paul to the church of Rome. And I was wondering about their mindset when they received this letter. Um, there would have been, they would have been not a single church, but a, a number of house churches through Rome. 
that Paul would have written to, and I think that their mindset would have been somewhat mixed. I think that they would have had elements of hope and excitement to them. I, I think they, the, the discovery of, of Jesus Christ and the new way that they are Christians, that they're learning about the tremendous gospel and the transformation of their lives, of their community, of eventually their city. There must have been that energy and excitement. And they lived in, uh, in the known world, really what was considered the greatest city at that time. All right, this is first century, and they had theaters, amphitheaters, and uh, they had arenas that w- would rival some of the arenas that we have today. There's some arenas that they thought would have sat 100,000 people, so like unheard of in this ancient time. They had sewage, they had running water, they had paved streets, all of that. So in one sense, I, I think that the, the Roman Christians would have had that sense of hope and thanks, thankfulness. But there were some distressing things probably in their lives. For one is that they were the extreme minority. That it was a very pluralistic in terms of religion and faith. And they were just one considered a sect of Judaism. And, and their one, the, the proclamation that I made earlier, aren't you so glad that, that Jesus is on the throne and we don't have a, a, a politics, right? That would have been a very dangerous proclamation for the Roman Christians at the time. Because Jesus was seen as a rival of Caesar and that was not okay. In the pluralistic. So there would have been some, some challenge. They were seen by some at different times as a, a cult almost. And they would be persecuted at different times in Rome. And also there was some internal struggle that was happening in, Ro- in the Roman Christian church at the time as well. Do you know that um, there's no evidence of an apostle going to Rome and founding the church. That in in much of of the cities, the apostles spread out the original 12 and Paul and Barnabas and some others and they would go proclaim the message. There's no, uh, Peter eventually got there, Paul eventually got there, but probably the church was established probably from uh, uh, Roman citizens, Jews in particular, would have been in Jerusalem at Pentecost, the start of church, Acts 2, when, when the Holy Spirit came and empowers, and you, we had people, it says, from across the known world, including folks from Rome, Jews and converts, Gentile converts. And so probably how the Roman church was established is that at that experience at Pentecost, Acts 2, they they experienced the Holy Spirit, they heard the apostles uh, uh, proclaiming the gospel, and then they probably went to Rome and they probably started sharing their experience and their gospel in the synagogues the Jewish synagogues in Rome. We have great evidence that there is uh, many, um, there was a, a large population of Jews in Rome at the time. And so probably the very first Roman Christians were Jewish 
And they began going to the synagogue and sharing that Jesus is the Messiah. And probably what happened, we don't know for sure, probably what happened is that there was a number of Jews and uh, Gentile converts that were excited and said yes and embraced Jesus as Messiah. But there was probably many Jews that did not and created this internal friction and, and perhaps drove them out of the synagogues. And so there's a good chance that many of the house churches were primarily populated by Jewish Christians in Rome. And then they began to wrestle with, well, how Jewish do you need to be to be Christians? It was an issue, right? And they wrestled through this idea. And they didn't have an apostle to go, well, here it is. Here's, how, here's what Peter experienced and all that, those things. They didn't have, Paul is writing the letter to Rome, Rome and he's never been there. He, he's, he's at least as a Christian, I don't know if he was in his previous life, but he's not been there as an apostle. So they don't know Paul and yet they've got these issues going on, not only with the culture, the Gentile culture of Rome, but also how Jewish should the Christian faith be? And so there must have been, we see some elements in the letter that Paul is aware to a certain extent, this beautiful work of the Holy Spirit that he's been doing in Rome without any of the apostles, and yet there's this strife, there's this struggle, there's, a, there's this mixture of hope and excitement, and yet difficulty and strain. And it's interesting that, that Paul, boy, he's an expert on these kind of issues. He is considered in that early church, he's the one with Barnabas that went to Jerusalem and debated with the big dogs, the apostles. And he said, yeah, let's talk about how Jewish you need to be. And what they debated was the gospel itself. He had that experience. And so now Paul, this brilliant theologian and church planter, aware of the issues happening in the church in the greatest city of the known world, he writes a letter. And this letter is considered the most profound articulation of the gospel in the New Testament. This is the, this is the Himalayas. This is the mountain peak of, in terms of the story of the gospel, the story of God. This is a 14er, okay? Let's pretend there's only one 14er and it's Pike's Peak, right? This is the 14er of the expression and articulation of the gospel. Laid out for the church in the greatest city of the known world. And Paul, he, he tells us, if you would turn with me to the book of Romans right after Acts. Think of the situation of where it's placed in our New Testament. Very important. You've got the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Then you have the story 
of the early church, which is Acts. And then right after Acts, right after the biographies of Jesus, what letter do we have? This 14er, Romans. And Paul tells us his purpose in writing um, this. He says um, in verse 11, he says, I long to see you. Paul is planning on coming to Rome, but he's writing this letter first. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. Or the King James says, to establish you. This idea of laying a foundation for your life, for your faith, for your understanding. That Paul wants to lay in this time of challenge and difficulty and confusion. He's saying, I would like to give you a foundation of the confidence of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. He wants to roll this out for the Romans and friends for you and me. That he wants us in whatever is happening, whatever things are swirling or stirring, whether it's internationally or politically, whatever is stirring in our personal lives, in our relationships, whatever is happening in our lives, Paul's desire is that he would write this, uh, this magnus opus, this, this uh, climactic uh, articulation that we might know the depths of the gospel, that we might learn and understand the truth of God, of ourselves, of the world we live in, and especially the good news of Jesus Christ. And that is my hope and prayer for us as a community of faith. That we would dig into this beautiful and deep epistle. This 14er of epistles. And that we would perhaps scale the mountain together. And that we would learn and take in the depths of God's love. The depths of who he is, the depths of the life he calls us to, the life he calls us to. Let's open together. We'll start, I'm going to read a few of the opening verses, and then we're going to jump uh, to verse 16. So Romans chapter 1. Verse 1 says, Paul, servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart, for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed to the son of God, appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection 
from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Notice how Trinitarian he is from the very opening verses. God the Father, the Spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ, our Lord, all the gospel. Through him we receive grace. Through him we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. It's interesting, there was an edict by a Caesar that is thought, we're unsure of the exact uh, year of the writing of Romans, uh, but an edict that the Jews were uh, causing some difficulty and strain in Rome, and uh, I believe it was Claudius who put an edict to drive out all Jews from Rome. And so there's a good chance that they were driven out and then once Claudius died, he return, they started returning. And so at one moment you had a, a primarily Jewish Christian community and then all of a sudden all the people who were Jewish had, were removed, including Christian Jews. They didn't make a distinction between those. Then it was a Gentile community and then once Claudius died, they started returning uh, to and saying, hey, how come you guys aren't practicing the Jewish faith in a Christian way like we left you? So some of that issue. Paul writing could still be primarily Gentile now. We're unsure. Would you jump with me to verse 16? I'm going to let you read um, all of uh, chapter 1. If you do that over the next week, that would be wonderful. Ponder that. For the sake of time, I think we can only uh, handle certain uh, sections of Scripture. But look at verse 16. Paul shares a lot of personal uh, notes about himself. And then he says this. Verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, he quotes Habakkuk, the righteous will live by faith. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made known, so that people are without excuse. Paul jumps right in to um, big ideas, big concepts, 
about what the gospel is. And I'd like us to uh, use this as a lens, uh, especially this morning, is this idea of revelation. Look at your neighbor and say revelation. 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 Did you notice that... um, did you notice that Paul likes that word? He, he uses that a couple of times in the verses that we just read. In fact, he's going to use that throughout Romans. And it's this idea, idea that by revelation, he will make us strong, will establish, that he's going to share the revelations that have been given to him. And in fact, in another place, he prays that we might have the spirit of revelation, that the spirit of God would speak, um, that we would know, that he's going to, in a sense, pull back the curtain on some things that have been hidden, on some truths that have have been there even from before the creation of the world, and yet this gospel represents the idea that Paul is going to pull back and reveal to us these profound truths. I thought of a very short movie clip and it is uh, perhaps the oldest movie clip that I've ever shown and let's see I'm sure you will all recognize this movie can we can we show that clip so we like you to keep your promise to <laughs> not so fast not so fast I'll have to give the matter a little thought go away and come back tomorrow tomorrow You've had plenty of time already. Yeah. Do not arouse the wrath of the great and powerful Oz. I said come back tomorrow. If you are really great and powerful, you'll keep your promises. Do you presume to criticize the great Oz? You ungrateful creatures think yourselves lucky that I'm giving you audience tomorrow instead of 20 years from now. Oh. The great Oz has spoken. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. The great Oz has spoken. Who are you? Oh, I I, I am the great and powerful wizard of Oz. You are? Uh, I don't believe you. No, I'm afraid it's true. There's no other wizard except me. You humbug. Yes, it's exactly so. I'm a humbug. Oh, you're a very bad man. Oh, no, my dear. I'm a very good man. I'm just a very bad wizard. A devastating insult. You humbug, you. Um, Would you think about this idea of pulling back the curtain? My hope is that in Romans, as we walk through this, there's going to be a number of of curtains that are pulled back. But we're not going to find a a false wizard. (laughs) But I I, I think we're going to find 
profound truths contained in this book. And, and these profound truths are, are, are going to pertain to to particular things. One is for sure they are going to pertain to a revelation of God himself, who he is, his character, how he desires to relate to us, who his nature is. In the middle of the book of Romans, Paul's going to quote the Father's words from the book of Isaiah. It's this beautiful quote, uh, a challenging quote, and it, from Isaiah 65, it says this. He, he's talking about the Gentiles, and he says this. I was found by those who did not seek me. I revealed myself. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. Your understanding of God, that he is seeking to open himself up to you and I. He wants you and I to know him. Of course, we'll, we'll never fully know the eternal, fully know the divine. And yet, he's placed in us this capacity that we can seek to know him and walk with him, that his desire is that he would pull back the curtain and not that you'd find this false wizard, but you'd find the one true living God, who he is. He wants you and I to know his nature, his character, his love, his goodness, his kindness. In the verse from Isaiah, he goes on and he talks about the Jewish people. Again, often in the book of Romans, Paul is talking about Jews and Gentiles. And this verse goes on and he says, to a nation that did not call uh, me, uh, to a nation that did not call in my name, I said, here I am. Here I am. All day long, I have held out my hands to an obstinate people who walk in ways not good, pursuing their own imaginations. Does your picture of God include a God who is holding out his hands all day long? He's saying that's who he is. He's holding out his hands all day long. Some of us, we're obstinate. We're hard-hearted. And we push his hands away. Sadness. And yet to those, to those, that longing, that, that sense we, we can feel his spirit inviting and calling and wooing. And it's a God who's opening up his hands. The only question is, will we open our hands back to him? Can we walk through the book of Romans with open hands? Can I do that? Open hearts. 
and open minds. That, that's a, that question is not, does God want to reveal his nature, his character, who he is to us? No, he's already told us, yes, he's opening his hands. The only question is, will we open our hands in response back to him? Friends, I believe if we do, there will be profound truth of who God is and how he wants to relate to us. I still remember as clear as day when I was, when I was really coming to faith in, in that way um, in college. I, who knows if I was really a Christian in high school? I think I was, but, uh, but it was really in college when I started asking questions and I was just sharing this and missing Jesus and he began to reveal himself to me. And he was far different, specifically in the person of Jesus Christ, he began revealing. My idea of him was a social worker Jesus, uh, a 1960s Jesus. Uh, I'm pretty sure he wore tie-dye shirts, right, as he, as he walked around. And yet, as I, as I read the Gospels, specifically the Gospel of John, and I began to see a Jesus that wasn't just a nice guy with a lamb draped over his shoulders. He, he was a guy who turned over the tables in the temple. He was passionate for the, for the things of God, passionate for the house of God, that it would be a, a house of prayer. He, he spoke in such challenging ways to the religious establishment of his day and at the same time so compassionate to the broken and the needy and the hurting. And I said, who is this? He is not the God I know. And I began to see one of the things that I began to realize is that this God who was revealing himself to me, he had a call, a kingdom call on my life. You, you see, I, I thought I'd get an education and then a job and a wife and have 2.5 children perhaps a white picket fence, I'd raise the children up and they'd have that same American dream. Good to go? Yes? And as I heard the voice of Jesus saying to his disciples, come follow me, it's as if the Spirit took that and said, Eric, you, Jesus is talking to you. Come follow me. Not to the American dream, not to what you think, but to this different kind of life. And I'll show you. And it's such a better life, full of purpose and meaning and calling. And here's the best part. We get to do this life together in communion with me. And as he unfolded that, I said, what, really? I'm just a kid from Chicago Heights. I, I'm just from the suburbs. I, I, don't, 
I'm not the smartest guy. I'm not the best looking guy. Well, maybe the best looking. But you know what, take, right? What do you meet? You really have this call that connects to the world, this eternal work that you're doing? God, really? I just thought you wanted me to keep my nose clean and stay out of trouble. And he said, no, I, I have plans for you. Anyone who opens their hands back to me, I will use and allow them to live a life that makes a difference in this world, a kingdom goal. Friends, I believe that our view of God and how he relates to us is far too small is far too, or in the words of the Avenger, puny, puny God, that we think of him as a puny God. And in fact, part of what God wants to do and can do, especially through the book of Romans, is open wide our view of God and, rem and realize how immense and awesome and mighty is our God. And how he is working in this world, working in the political and the international and all those things that we feel as distress. He says, I've got this. And I'm going to use you to heal the world. Now there's some particular revelations that Paul mentions. I'm going to unpack this morning just going to mention them. Verse 17, he says that the gospel is a revelation of the righteousness of God. Do you know what that means, the righteousness of God? I want to suggest that most of us don't know how grand and beautiful and essential the righteousness of God is to our lives and the life he calls us to. And we're going to unpack that more as we go through Romans. And then Romans 1.18, he, he says a revelation, the gospel's a revelation of the wrath of God. Do you know what that means? We probably don't really want to know what that means, do we? We don't want to, but it's, it, it's crucial. It's essential that we wrestle with the wrath of God, foundational to our understanding of this life and the, and the life he calls us to. Would you be, as we walk through Romans, would you be a little bit like Moses and the story of Exodus 33? Where Moses was doing some complaining to God, as he often did, and yet this complaining, God blessed. And he said this to God. God was calling him to participate in his agenda, in his work in this world. And listen to what Moses says. He says, to God, you have said, I know you by name and you have found favor with me. And Moses says, if you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know you. 
and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. It's my favorite moment in Moses' life. He's saying, would you, I, I want to remain in favor. You're saying you know me and you relate to me. Would you show me who you are that I might know you, experience you, love you, live in a way that's faithful to you? Can we bring to the book of Romans the sense of God? I, I want to know you. I want to know your ways so that I might find favor. The second area of, of revelation that I think the Lord wants to do through the book of Romans is not only that we would know who God is more fully but also who we are truly. Who we are in, in two ways. One, in all of our brokenness, in all of our sin that we would know. Romans 2.5, he says this, but because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteousness, his righteous judgment will be revealed. Now that doesn't sound like an exciting thing, does it, for Romans. Romans, he is gonna lay out the depths of our brokenness as a people. And some of those things aren't going to be fun. It's going to be real with you. They're going to be hard. But Timothy Keller said this, New York pastor, famously he said, we are far worse than we ever imagined and far more loved than we could ever dream. Let me read that again. We are far worse than we ever imagined and far more loved than we ever dreamed. What he's saying is that there's a depth of brokenness within us. And if we're really going to understand the depths and the immensity of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have to understand our brokenness. Um, when Kendra and I were engaged, I asked her if I could share this story. <clears throat> Probably good she's not here this morning. We were engaged, and of course, we're, we're uh, looking at blending a family, and we decided to go to a counselor and have uh, just like a counselor spend some time with us, give us assessment. Is there something we're missing, we're not seeing, that we're blind to, issues in our, our marriage? You know, we were in the, ooh, this is going to be all good. We love Jesus. Yes, we thought, man, what, what's going on here, right? And, uh, and so we meet with the counselor, and she was actually uh, primarily a family counselor, especially with kids, so she had all these toys. And so we sit on the ground, and she's got all these figurines in front, and she said, would each member of the family, would you find one or two figurines that describes you, that relates to you, so that you can share it with, uh, with the family? And so right away, I started looking for all Star Wars figurines, right? I was, where's Han Solo? All, you know, all those things, right? So I'm looking, I don't think she had any Star Wars, so very disappointing. 
So uh, Kendra chose two figurines. Still remember this to the day. And so she shared, one of the figurines was a little Disney princess, right? And we're like, yeah, that is Kendra. Good choice. We really see that in you, Kendra. And then she also had another figurine. And she's like, and also a dragon. <laughs> and we're like, what? Are you talking about a dragon? That's not you? And we're, you know, we're back and forth. No, that's not a dragon. Now I know what she meant. <laughs> yeah, it was there. But she, she was sharing a, a little bit. And friends, I got to tell you that for each and every one of us, we're broken by sin. Each and every one of us, there are dragons that are within a part of spiritual maturity is being honest and authentic and really allowing the Spirit of God to reveal the dragons, to see the brokenness. Not for purposes of condemnation, not for purposes of judgment and driving us away from God. You know what the purposes are? for healing and restoration and forgiveness and transformation within. You see, if we can read Romans, we're going to get into it, especially next week, and as, as Paul relates to the depth of humanity's brokenness, if we can heal, hear that, not with eyes of condemnation for ourselves and our own soul, but really with eyes of healing and restoration so that we might discover truly who we are, truly who we were created to be, truly when Christ removes all that brokenness and the, and the, the sickness of sin that is part of each and every one of us. Then we can begin to see the beauty of who God has called us to be. Not only do we have a small vision of who God is, I am convinced that we have a very small vision of who we are called to be. The lives we're called to live in honor of Christ Jesus. In the middle of Romans <clears throat> Romans 8 says this, for the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. He's actually pointing to the second coming when Jesus will return, when all will be made known, and then we'll really know a full picture of who Jesus is, who God is, and who you and I are meant to be. But in this time of Already but not yet. In this time, as we anticipate Christ's return, we get to see aspects of who we are truly meant to be. We get to see the power of sin broken in our lives. The, the sin that entangles us, that taints our everydays, our, our, our thinking, our souls, our relationships. We get to see in the power of God that removing of that taintedness of sin and live who we're truly called to be. 
Someday we'll see it in full. But today, right now, we get to see aspects of this full life, this abundant life, this kingdom life. And then finally, um, I'll just say this. Can we, approach, can we approach the book of Romans as David in that moment that David saw the depth of his sin, Bathsheba, and the heights of God's love for him and call in his life. And David was able to say in Psalm 139, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. That wasn't for God's benefit of David. Whose benefit was it for? David? Can we allow him to do that? And then finally, the area of revelation is that he wants to reveal the beauty, the mystery of the gospel, of the story of God's love for you and I. He wants to teach us the depth, the breadth, the wonder of his gospel in our lives. Another epistle, 2 Timothy, Paul says this, this grace wants to teach us about this grace given, was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. But it has now been revealed. This loving kindness of God, this Charis, this grace of God has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. This is what the gospel says. This is the foundation. The foundation of your life should be this grace which God has been planning from the beginning of time. And before, this is how Paul will end the book of Romans. Begin with the end in mind. Now to him who is able to establish you, that, that foundation, that strong, to make you strong, establish you in the confidence according, in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past. There has been this mystery in the world that we have not known but is now. What is it? It is... It is revealed. It's made known. And Paul wants to reveal and share the depth of God's grace, the depth of who he is, his love, who you truly are. He wants to reveal the true gospel. Friends, I'm concerned that not only do we have a small view of God, not only do we have a small vision of who we are and are called to be, but we also have a small view of the gospel. An incomplete, uh, our, our gospel has some holes in it. You know, Romans 1.17, that verse was the foundation of the Reformation. 
you had a, a Catholic priest named Martin Luther who wrestled through that verse and he said, this is not a gospel that I thought it was. This is a gospel that I don't think our church is talking about. This is this incredible gospel that is not based on my righteousness or anything that I can do or I can earn, but this gospel that Paul is proclaiming and revealing in the book of Romans and all the epistles, the, the true gospel. This isn't about the righteousness of God. And if we get this, it changes everything. It reforms everything. My life, my faith, my community. Friends, would we approach the book of Romans and allow, the, uh, like Martin Luther, to allow the depth of this gospel to transform and to teach us and to love God and live life in ways that we never imagined before. I'm gonna pray Ephesians 1.17 over you as we prepare for communion. And just look at this verse with me for a moment. And this is the Apostle Paul praying for the church in Ephesus. I think Paul, I just get the sense he's still praying this for God's church. He's still praying this for you and I, but in heaven. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the glorious Father may give you the spirit of wisdom and, and revelation so that you may know him better. Let's pray. Father, I continue to just see you opening your hands to us. Wanting us to receive from you. Wanting us to know you. To know your love, your kindness, your truth. You're wanting to teach us who we are. and this beautiful gospel. Would you give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation? Holy Spirit, would you work in our hearts and minds, in our, in our small groups, in our one-on-one -on -one time with you in the book of Romans? Lord, in, in the preaching of your word, would you teach us, would you reveal to us so that we may know you better. In your name we pray, amen.